0: Hey guys, just a quick heads up before you dive into today's episode. I did want to let you guys know that we recorded this earlier in the week. So if there is some box office stuff that is not entirely up to date, that's why. But other than that, I mean, it's still a fun conversation and we hit on most of the points. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of No Capes Required. I'm Sky Meredith, joined by a very special guest. His mission, should he choose to accept it, is to talk about movies, money, marketing, and, and maybe some other stuff. But he is the movie king, Brandon King. Brandon, how are you today?
1: So much M, it's even in the start of my Twitter handle, so it's appropriate.
0: Da, da, da,
1: da, 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 da. I was going to say, the problem is my thought immediately goes to M-Day from the X-Men comics, and that's a very bad thing, so maybe not. But yes, today's No case Required is brought to you by the letter M! Yay!
0: Brought to you by M, but also sponsored by maybe Kings? We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but... Uh, I don't have any money! No idea where we're going with this intro, so why don't we just <laughs> move on? Uh,
1: it, it is so- a, It is an unbelievable story we're talking about, so we're trying to be as wacky as possible.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, Which very much describes this past box office weekend. At the beginning of the year, Brandon and I were on an episode where we made box office predictions for some of this year's highly anticipated movies. And now, given that we're seven months into the year, I thought it might be as good a time as any to do a box office check-in to see how our predictions have gone and just analyzing the box office landscape and madness in general. Uh, So let's do it. I think there's no more obvious way to start today's conversation than with Barbenheimer. The meme that has become the phenomenon, I'm going to be honest, uh, in January when we did our predictions episode and we talked about Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out on the same day, I really didn't think much about it. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. And I just carried on with my day. I did not expect it to become the internet sensation and seismic pop culture event that it has become. Barbie absolutely destroyed the box office last weekend, making $155 million domestically to land not only the biggest debut of the year, but also the biggest debut for a female-directed film ever. And even though Oppenheimer took home the silver medal this weekend, It still collected a remarkable 80.5 million domestically in its opening weekend. Good for the third best opening weekend for a Nolan flick, only behind The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight. And in some ways, that might even be more mind blowing to me than the Barbie numbers, just because Oppenheimer, even with it being Christopher Nolan, even with it having an A list cast attached to it, Oppenheimer is a three hour long biopic and not even a sports or music biopic, and yet droves of people came out to see it, which actually kind of leads me to my theory that even though there were reports and rumors that Nolan wasn't happy about Barbie coming out on the same day as Oppenheimer, Barbie may have actually helped Oppenheimer because the viral memes that were created because of the event of Barbenheimer eventually became like there was just this idea of seeing both movies as a double feature that became more than just a meme, but a reality. Especially because according to National Association of Theater Owners, like more than 200,000 people purchased tickets to see Barbie and Oppenheimer on the same day. So Brandon, that's a mouthful. There's a lot to break down with this, obviously. But like overall, what stands out to you most about the Barbenheimer weekend? And what impact, if any, does this seismic box office weekend have on the future of movie going?
1: I mean, if anything, the fact that it happened... Like when you and I, I think you reiterated you reiterated it best when we were talking about, you know, the foreboding incoming of Barbenheimer so many months ago, it did seem like, yeah, that could be a helpful push. Yeah, we, we you know, I think I, I didn't go back and look at my exact predictions, but I know that I had the inclination of like, you know what, Barbie plays this marketing right, it could hit a billion dollars, but that seems like a eh, far-fetched impossible dream. And now we're here where, you know, you just look domestically, I think I had the number in front of me, uh, domestically it's the eighth highest grossing movie of the year and that's beating indiana jones that's beating transformers that's beating fast x already um and then you get to oppenheimer which i had to look it up as well yeah like dunkirk made somewhere around 50 million opening which is where they were pegging oppenheimer to be uh, i didn't get interstellar's number but that does shock me that interstellar does although to be fair interstellar also had a similar thing where that year was like interstellar hero 6 because big hero 6 was eating up a lot of the box office that weekend i remember so no one's box office directory minus the Dark Knight movies has been very strange. But looking at the weekend as a whole, yeah, the sheer fact that it happened, that Barbenheimer took over the consciousness the way that it did, the fact that, you know, the memes and the subreddits and the marketing promotion and, you know, the the limited screen time presence that we've gotten in the press jug, because of the whole sec After Strike, you know, just the fact that it's taken over so much anticipation just among general audiences has been fascinating to see. I remember I remember just hearing this morning that uh, somewhere around, I think, like 20% of Oppenheimer's box-off return domestically were because of people going to the double feature, which double features aren't really a thing in theaters anymore. So just bringing that facet back is fascinating. So there's a whole web that Barbenheimer has created, good and bad, that we can get into. But surely just the fact that it has happened at this scale and has helped both movies at this scale and has even helped prop up other movies, whatever you think about them, and we'll get into those as well, the sheer fact that it's helping build up that cinematic landscape is huge.
0: Kind of going to your point, and we're going to get to the marketing in a second, but going to your point about like the double feature thing and how much that helps, do you feel like movie studios are going to see this and wonder if like maybe we should do this more? Maybe we should have like two blockbusters come out on the same day, maybe the double feature thing? like, Is that going to be a domino effect at all, or do you feel like this is just a one-time thing?
1: I don't think it's a one-time thing, but I don't think it's going to be as vast of a domino effect as maybe the anticipation would be because a lot of the fear about it is what has become of counter programming in the last number of years where like we talked about that in the box office episode. Like, no, no, that movie has to move because that other movie is there and that will just swallow up all the box office products. But I think Barbenheimer reached a weird critical nexus point where it was kind of the intersection of you know, the bright, fun, plasticky nostalgia of Barbie and also the grim existential dread of uh, of Oppenheimer, which I think can be said a lot for, an, for a lot of audiences where people are becoming a bit more cynical, but there is still a sense of fun about it. And I think it reached that weird intersection of both where like, yeah, the world's on fire, but let's have a great day at the movies to do it. And I don't know if every movie or if every pair of movies can really do that. Like I've already started to see uh, hype behind the Nun Two and Big Fat Greek Wedding Three, which would be amazing to see in the same proceeds. But I don't think the Big Fat Greek Wedding audience and the Conjuring fandom is necessarily on the same scale of you know Christopher Nolan admirers versus Greta Gerwig admirers and people who grew up with Barbie. So I think the the what we call it um, the precedent is now there, and I'm fascinated to see if studios will look to that when they have two or potentially even three massive name properties or names behind their movies if they're less scared to move that off because of competition because that competition can really help boost all ships as we've now seen so I don't think it'll be widespread but I think there is going to be more of an inclination of maybe we can pull this off
0: yeah for sure like counter programming if you're like a similar program I don't think this would work but I think the fact that they're two very different films may give some studios this kind of you know the inclination of like Huh, maybe we should try this. I, I don't know if it's gonna really going to be a thing. I feel like this was kind of an unforeseen, kind of unforeseen event, but, you know, who knows? I mean, considering, like, the unpredictability of box office as we're going to talk about right now, um, who knows, there might be more movie studios at least attempting it, more attempting it than we would have thought.
1: It's a really tricky question because in my head, I want to believe that the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer together has helped raise that possibility that, you know, multiple movies could come out and their excitement is there. But then you look at the box office, especially domestically for 2023, and it's not amazing. Like a lot of them underperformed. A lot of them either had to look to overseas and even then it's not great. There's just something about the way that they were promoted. And I think that goes to the magic of, you know, marketing, if you want to call it that. Um, and I don't know, I, there's, a, there's just the logical part of my brain going, yes, you can hope for this all you want, but this was just a lightning in a bottle circumstance of, you know, hype of anticipation, but of actual quality pulling through of, of early word of mouth of obviously the IMAX factor playing into it and the idea of seeing movies on the big screen and that narrative translating up, translating over to Barbie as well. It's tricky because again, I want to romanticize the death, but I don't know if I can.
0: No, fair enough. But let's stick to the let's actually stay on the marketing point. And sure. especially like in, in regards to Barbie, especially, I think it's impossible to talk about its explosion at the box office without talking about its marketing, because beyond the trailers, beyond the posters, billboards and interviews that came with marketing for marketing for any big movie. There was the online photo app that ended up being a huge trend. There were the life-size toy boxes, which also ended up being a huge trend. The many collaborations with brands like Xbox, Gap, Forever 21, Pinkberry, Impala Skate, and others. The Barbie Malibu Dreamhouse that's available for rent on Airbnb. The 3D ad in front of Burj Khalifa. Uh, Margot Robbie and her stylist picking out a different Barbie outfit for every promotional event. The fact that they didn't ignore the Barbenheimer trend, but embraced it and had Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig pose for their tickets to see Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, I mean, and there are so many things that I couldn't even mention. But legitimately, the head of marketing and anyone associated with the marketing for this movie deserves a massive payday. Because even with Greta Gerwig, even with the cast and even with the positive reviews, there is no way whatsoever this movie gets anywhere close to 150 million domestically and 350 million worldwide in its opening weekend without its marketing. So, my question related to that is, do you think Barbie's marketing and the amount of money Warner Brothers spent on marketing, which according to Variety was around 150 million, do you think that will significantly affect how blockbusters market their films in the future?
1: I think at the very least, it will affect how, at the very least, it will affect how they talk about competition. Uh, Because again, there was such a thing of, not just Oppenheimer, as you said, but Mission Impossible as well. And just the idea of going to the movies, going and having that experience, you know, making a day or an afternoon out of it, or, you know, even a couple days out of it. And you're right, like Greta and Margot and Ryan, that whole team. I think the leaning into Barbenheimer, that especially the Barbie cast was doing, Oppenheimer cast was doing their for sure as well. Killian was really being a cheerleader for that as well. But the Barbie cast embracing the chaos of it all, not only tied into what we all thought the movie was kind of going to address, but it also just became a natural uh, kind of starting point of, yeah, this can be a thing that goes from online conversations into an actual thing that we can help. You know, emphasize the greatness of what this can be both for our film, for other films, and you know, hopefully help the industry as a whole. And I'm incredibly grateful to them for that because, again, like you say, I don't think we would have made its marketing budget back, which is remarkable to think about without that kind of thing. I also do want to quickly mention the soundtrack, which I didn't realize had as much push as it did. I thought it was a huge, I thought it was a big deal before, but. I had talked to people in like the week and uh, the week or two leading up to it, and they were all hyped because of either Dua Lipa or Lizzo or Tame Impala. So, like, it also brings to mind that idea of classic movie soundtracks and their impact on Billboard and TikTok and what that whole synergy looks like. So, yeah, very much kudos.
0: I actually now want to shift our focus to the other somewhat forgotten member of the July box office club, which is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. According to The Direct, Mission Impossible has dropped for a 64% gross comparing its debut weekend with the past one, earning only $19.5 million at the domestic box office. And this has given the movie a new title, but not a good one, becoming the highest drop of the entire saga, which was previously held by Mission Impossible 2. This is kind of sad to hear because, me personally, I love Dead Reckoning and Critics and audiences who saw it loved it too. The problem is not enough people saw it because it got completely overshadowed by Barbenheimer. And honestly, I couldn't have predicted that at the beginning of the year. Like Mission Impossible coming into this year was a pretty beloved franchise starring the biggest movie star in Hollywood who is coming off a mega hit and Best Picture nominee in Top Gun Maverick. And not only did it get swept away by Barbie and Oppenheimer... But it also got beat out this weekend by Sound of Freedom, which has somehow become a sleeper hit. So, Brandon, Brandon, what stands out to you more, Mission Impossible's fall at the box office or Sound of Freedom's surprising success story?
1: Well, unfortunately, it's not Mission Impossible's fall because, again, when we went back so many months ago and we saw it in the week before, we kind of had a dissimilar thought of, well, oh, no, to Barbie and Oppenheimer because Mission Impossible, it's entry seven in a consistently engaging franchise with Bakwari and Cruz coming back. You know, they do a great job of promotion. Like, obviously, this is going to take a significant chunk of money away from Barbie and Oppenheimer. And then the, op- the Barbenheimer monster grew. And this is where we are at. Um, yeah, whoever put it in the week before, I get where you were coming from. But even back then, there were signs of it that marketing executives should have seen. So... I don't know how you do it, but again, the one bit of hope that I have, you look at something like Elemental, which has not completely brought back its box office, but had a really interesting second career push overseas when people started to realize, oh yeah, this is a really good movie. We should definitely go support it in theaters. And that word of mouth started to blossom and grow, which thank God it did. I think Elemental is a really good movie. But I hope Mission Impossible can do that, especially as we're getting into late summer where... You know, Blue Beetle, Haunted Mansion, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles don't necessarily have the same universal bombastic appeal, so that could still happen. But the bigger question is how the hell has Sound of Freedom done this well? Because, and I hope no one from work listens to this, because I'm taking this risk. Everyone I know at work is taking time out of their shows to talk about this darn movie because, oh my God, it's reaching such a wide conservative audience. It beat Tom Cruise. Isn't that something special that it beat movie stars? completely ignoring all the the behind-the-scenes stuff about the movie, which I think is ridiculous. Um, I think it's ridiculous to ignore, I should say. Um, I personally have not seen the movie. I don't necessarily intend to see the movie, but I am fascinated by something with, as you could call a grassroots effort, you could call it money laundering. I'm not here to tell you what you think of that. Um, But it is just utterly bizarre that we live in that world where even if you look at the worldwide totals, Sound of Freedom is not that far off. And if you do look at the worldwide totals, something like John Wick has still beaten Mission Impossible significantly, which again, we are living in wild times when it comes to box office. It doesn't make any sense. But to me, the success of Sound of Freedom trumps Mission Impossible just because there were signs on the wall. No one was expecting Sound of Freedom to do what it did.
0: The thing is, like now that I think about it, I have to think that if Mission Impossible got moved to August, it would have done so well. And I mean, now obviously, you know. It could have. It could have, yeah, done so well. Obviously, it's, uh, obviously, like I said, you and I could not have imagined Barb and to become the event that it was. But just looking at the box office from afar, it just seems like, okay, yeah, August was now like such a much safer bet. And it seems like, yeah, Mission Impossible could have done some serious numbers in that month. But yeah, I think what I read about Sound of Freedom um, just from the little that I read about it is that apparently their marketing campaign is somewhat related to where it's almost like uh, after you've seen the movie, like buy a ticket for a friend. And so apparently there have been some there have been theaters where it's sort of like people have bought tickets for friends, but then some of those friends actually don't end up seeing the movie. So it's almost like empty seats, but they technically the ticket is still bought. But if we're talking about box office, it doesn't really matter if people are in the seats as long as tickets are purchased. And we have this thing where like Sound of Freedom is now like consistently making money. I think I think there was a stat I heard where it made more money this weekend than its opening weekend. So it's actually it's one of the rare movies ever that seems to be making more money as the weeks go by instead of less. But it's
1: made more than Scream 6 domestically,
0: which Nobody could have, pred- I, I, like, I don't know. I don't care if you're a box office enthusiast. I don't think anybody could have predicted how much sound of freedom could make. That sound of freedom could be in contention for the biggest sleeper hit of the year. I don't think anybody would have thought that at the beginning. And, unless-
1: and you know what? It's not technically a Christian movie. Like, it's not something like The Shelter or God's Not Dead. But it does go to that idea of never underestimate faith or message-based box offices, especially amongst church audiences. Like that just is becoming a bigger, th- even cross pandemic lines. There is still that notion that if you promote two churches or religious groups with a strong message, you will get an audience in some capacity, maybe even to the point of whatever nonsense they're trying.
0: It, it kind of goes, yeah, goes to show you that the box office this year, like you said, has been uh, very unpredictable. And speaking of which, you know, we talk about the box office surprises and dead reckoning and sound of freedom o- outside of those two movies. What has been the biggest surprise for you? And obviously, there's a lot to choose from because we've had some big flops this year at the box office between The Flash, Indiana Jones, and The Dial of Destiny, and others. There's, the ser- like you said, the curious case of Elemental, which looked like it was doomed to fail after a poor opening weekend, but has since quietly made money each week and has surpassed $350 million globally, and actually recently became... The most viewed Pixar movie ever released in Korea, and then you have movies like Megan, a film that wasn't part of a long-standing horror franchise, that grossed 179.1 million dollars at the box office worldwide. <laughs> which, according to Screen Rant, beat out also beat out Scream Six. This is all to say that there were a lot of surprises this year at the box office. So, Brandon, out of everything you've seen at the box office year this year, you know. Minus the stuff that we already talked about, what has kind of stood out to you? Like, oh, I didn't see that coming.
1: Uh, well, I will say Megan is probably one of the bigger ones because, you know, again, it's January release it's a horror film. They're usually 50 50 shot in there. But Megan, like you said, really took off from the online buzz around it. Again, talk about a movie that got emphasized by online buzz, not necessarily created by it. I think the whole shtick of Megan kind of hit a nerve with audiences. So that kind of stands and honestly, out.
0: I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember like the Chucky Twitter account actually kind of helped it? It was like beeping. Yes,
1: (laughs) like legacy horror accounts were looking at this and going like, yeah, this is the next big thing. And sure enough, it's getting a sequel. So that turned out. Um, The underperformance of Indiana Jones really surprises me. Not necessarily because of, you know, it bombed or anything. It hasn't necessarily bombed, but it has underperformed. I think it's made somewhere around like 340 million worldwide, which kind of doesn't make sense. Like, Again, like that movie was released tail start of 4th of July weekend. It ha- it had a lot of potential buzz behind it. But again, like you look at just what was coming out around it and it just got swallowed up for whatever reason. It wasn't doing great in IMAX screens. It wasn't necessarily doing huge numbers worldwide. And so it kind of surprises me just given that Lucasfilm has been trying to find something to alleviate their box office in lieu of Star Wars and just not even Indiana Jones can save it, which is really surprising. Um, obviously Mario is not a huge shocker, but I am surprised at just, if you look at the worldwide numbers where like it's guardians at 800 million and then way up there, it's Mario bros at like 1.3 billion, 1.2 billion, something like that. So the disparity between that has been rather significant. Uh, and then obviously looking at something like, look at something like fast and furious or something like the flash where like they're seriously underperforming fast X has made $700 million. It's not that underperforming, but just the idea of huge you know uh, huge blockers are being bet on so hard by studios not making those 800 900 uh, uh, 1 billion dollar marks it just goes to show that we are in a different era of hype and interest for those movies so yeah we're living in a very weird time for box office and 2023 is kind of a cross section of that
0: yeah it kind of reminds me of the conversation where like i think you had said that two of the highest grossing movies of the year would have been um yeah, you mentioned like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and The Little Mermaid, which I guess is technically in the top five right now. But was that another movie that you probably expected to make more than it did?
1: Yeah, I'm looking right now. Little Mermaid's made 560 million worldwide and uh, 296 domestically. The worldwide numbers don't surprise me. The domestic number is a bit low. I figured that would crack 350 million easily domestically, and yeah, just it's either. The stupid controversy aside or just the fatigue around Disney live action remakes or whatever it was, it just is, it it wasn't necessarily resonating with people as well as it did. So that's a little surprising, but then slightly on the positive end of that, um, John Wick chapter four has pretty much exceeded expectations It stayed high up in box office for pretty much the entirety of the year. It's really turned people on to really stylized action movies. I'm sure the Oscar promotion of RRR and kind of that whole action scene, putting their arms behind it didn't necessarily hinder it, but yeah, John Wick Chapter Four has done really well domestically and worldwide, and I'm just kind of shocked at a movie like that that for so long was like, yeah, it's for the action nerds, and now it's cracking like nearly 450 million worldwide.
0: No, for sure. Now John Wick's one to good. John Wick's a good one to bring up. Um, yeah, actually, looking at Indiana Jones, I'm actually not as shocked as some other people are, only because because Indiana Jones think about it as a franchise was biggest was at its peak in the 80s and obviously that sure. is where it's like from no from and so like in today's modern generation like the last Indiana Jones movie before this Kingdom of the you know the Crystal Skull which was not well received which was not you know well um, you know liked by audiences and so it's been that long, so I don't really feel like this generation has like a great attachment to Indiana Jones, even though Indiana Jones is obviously one of the film icons, but it's one of the icons of the 80s, whereas like, I feel like Gen Z audiences don't have as much of an attachment to it as you would say like, with Star Wars, which obviously is cross-generations. We do got to talk about The Flash, because- um, Yeah, okay. Man. It's a good thing for Warner Brothers that Barbie is doing so well because it might just offset all of the Flash's losses. Because the Flash reportedly lost Warner Brothers over 200 million, making it the worst box office flop in superhero movie history. To be fair, while the reviews and word of mouth have not been great, the Flash isn't the worst reviewed movie in the world. And before people start bringing up like superhero fatigue, I do want to say. And let me remind you, uh, Brandon already brought this up. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the second highest grossing movie of the year, and it made over $840 million. The fourth highest grossing movie of the year so far is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which made nearly $300 million more than the first one. So I don't think superhero fatigue is nearly as much of a factor as people think. I think more what is actually a bigger thing outside of, of course, the big Ezra Miller you know, elephant in the room, which we will probably get to is on top of that I do think there might be DCEU fatigue I, I, but I guess I like before we get to that I guess I want to you know address the elephant in the room first uh, Brandon how much of an impact did Ezra Miller's baggage have on the Flash's box office totals and do you feel like it had bigger a bigger impact than you thought it would have
1: I mean again what I said three or four times in this episode social media push emphasizing box office not creating it I think, the word of mouth around The Flash was really twofold. One, it was Ezra Miller's nonsense tainting a lot of the things. And two, it was the idea that this would be a DCEU fan for comic fans because people would know about it and it would reset the universe and a bright new future and it would be you know Zazlov's baby to recontextualize the DCEU, however damn well pleased and however James Gunn plan was going to do it. And I think a lot of people heard those two things in tandem of, well, I don't necessarily want to, and to be fair, Ezra Miller is not necessarily a household name, so I'm sure the star power didn't diminish any of those, frankly, horrible things. And I think just, again, as you said, the DCEU fatigue around it, I don't think it's necessarily the idea of DC films being, you know, uh, box office poison or anything like that. But I do think there was certainly the idea of, well, Shazam didn't necessarily meet a lot of people's expectations. I loved it. Suicide Squad didn't necessarily meet expectations. I loved it um black adam did the thing that it did Eh. and so i think those things all in tandem really created an environment where people were looking at dc films as yeah they're events but in kind of the same way that the fast and furious movies are where they'll connect i guess i should be interested in this but there was also the idea of james gunn's entry being so popular and so well-known, the idea that the guy who did the Guardians movies is going to be taking the DCU in this exciting new direction. Well, what happens to the other movies? The guy from Guardians is taking the DCU in exciting new directions. And that kept being the mouthpiece around the movie. So, And then obviously the reviews came out. and But I, I will also say, in regards to the reviews, so a couple of people made very valid points where The Flash was doing maybe more press and advance screenings than I've seen for any major blockbuster in the last three years like, if you looked even a little bit, you could find either a free radio screening or a free promotional screening or another critic who had a guest pass. There would be some way to see it in advance. And I do feel like Warner Brothers was really banking on the fact of like, yeah, we got this huge blockbuster it's doing gang numbers at CinemaCon, you know, getting all these early reactions. Let's get it to the people immediately and get it to the most audiences possible. And it completely blew up in their face.
0: No, that's a good point. Um, for some context... Here are the 10 biggest superhero box office flops not adjusted mm. for inflation.
1: This is from 10 to 1 or?
0: Yeah, or 1 to okay. 10. 1 to 10. So yeah, 1, as I said before, is The Flash. 2, is Shazam Fury of the Gods. Oh. 3, is Wonder Woman 1984. 4, is Dark Phoenix. 5, is The Suicide Squad. 6, is Black Adam. 7, is Fan... I, I said Fanforstic, which honestly is its title, but Fantastic Four also, I guess, it goes by. Uh, eight is R.I.P.D. Nine <laughs> is The New Mutants. And ten is Green Lantern. So, crazy enough that Green Lantern, if you want to call anything successful, is the most successful on that list. I don't think anybody had that in their uh, bingo book, but... To emphasize, six of those movies are DC movies, and five of those movies are DCEU movies specifically. And specifically, all five of those movies have come out between 2020 and 2023. And the two biggest flops of all time both came out this year. And granted, I I will say with at least like with Wonder Woman 1984 and The Suicide Squad, those were hybrid releases. So it makes sense why they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't make as much money, but... And and to your point, Brandon, actually, the Suicide Squad did get positive uh, positive reviews. I think it just suffered because of the hybrid release. Again, you know, like more people probably saw it at home than in theaters. But going back, summer
1: twenty twenty one was weird.
0: Yeah, but going back to it, for me, this brings home the point that there are a lot of people who just don't care about the DCU right now, which is not a good sign for Blue Beetle, which is predicted to earn only. 12 to 17 million domestically in its opening weekend, according to Box Office Pro, which is precisely why they're bringing in James Gunn to steer the ship and turn things around. So, but getting back to Flash, I feel like that added with all the Ezra Miller controversy behind it. I, I felt, and, and also you brought up with um, you know, them giving advanced screenings you know, beforehand, which ended up blowing in their face. I feel like all these things collided and, you know, just really caved in on it and it's for it to be the biggest superhero flop of all time.
1: I do want to point out one other detail, though, which is that even before SAG-AFTRA, you know, took away all the promotional cycles that we were getting. And again, for good reason, I support SAG-AFTRA and they absolutely should have done that. Prior to that, you had the whole mess of Flash, which was basically that you couldn't get Ezra Miller to promote any of it, you know, your star. Michael Keaton was doing very limited spots, so all the board, all the burden fell on Sasha Cali, you know, Supergirl, who doesn't have any future right now confirmed in the DCU, despite her saying that she's met with James Gunn, and I hope she gets an opportunity there, because I do think she's really quite good in it. But you are getting your third or fourth tier cast member, and not even your legacy cast member behind it. You know, the idea of, like, Michael Keaton is back as Batman. Well, where is he? There's no promotional cycle for this movie in an already in an already crowded marketplace in a movie where the main push is that, Hey, do you want to see this really terrible messed up person uh, in a character portrayal that people are not necessarily fond of in a crowded marketplace in a movie that isn't really going to matter come six months from now, come see this. It it is just, it's a mess of things coming together. It's kind of, it is the reverse Barbenheimer, if you will. It is a movie that was completely diminished by social media hype into the flop that we now know it. And unfortunately, might have waves across the DC multiverses to come. Like you say, I am terrified for Blue Beetle. I have all of the hope in the world that it can reach the audience that it does if they just promoted the darn thing, uh, unless they're going to push it back, which again, there's reports saying that. But yeah, I'm worried.
0: Last question to wrap up our box office talk. Uh, Do you think Barbie will catch up to Mario to claim the box office crown this year or another movie will, you know, because I essentially, I don't know, for me at least, just viewing the box office you know, space. I don't think there's any other movie this year. That's going to catch that has really a chance of catching Mario, except for Barbie. So I feel like it's almost a two way race, but you can, you can argue that if you want, but yeah. So I guess I'll leave it open, including, you know, Barbie and then everything else. Like does anybody, does any movie catch Mario to claim the box office crown this year?
1: It's a good question. Cause I think what the narrative has been is, you know, wide-necked, relatively family-friendly content can succeed in spades during the pandemic, especially when you have a two to four to even six-week barrier between, which it's hard to argue Barbie doesn't have. I mean, like, its biggest competition is maybe Haunted Mansion. I think there's something coming out in September that's going to be pretty huge. I just can't look right at the moment. Um, so for the next couple of weeks, and again, like, the thing about Barbie is that I don't know with, uh, with your friends as well, I have several groups of friends who are insisting on going to see it twice, three, four, even five times in the next uh, couple months. Like it is a movie that has legs and has something to say, but is also really fun and exciting. It is going to be really tough to hit that 1.2 billion for Mario, which is to pass it, or just to, it, uh, or just to hit a 1. billion in more? general. 1.3, 1.3, 1.3 thank 1.3, you. 1.3, yeah, um, but yeah, it is going to be really tough to meet or match that, but. I could see it getting to 800 million. And once it gets to that point, if we get to, you know, if we get to late August and it hits 800 million by that point, I might be betting that it could cross a billion, but I don't think it'll quite reach Mario simply because again, illumination, they promoted the living godline out of that movie. They had all the room to be able to grow. We all should have seen the writing on the wall. You know, some people did. I just necessarily was more spe- more skeptical about it. But I think at the end of the day, Barbie has a legit shot. Uh, it's maybe got the best shot outside of something like maybe Wonka in December, which has a lot of potential legs. But I think, yeah, Barbie will, it, it'll make bank. It might hit 800 million. And if it does, I think the billion is in sight. But I don't think it will catch up to Mario.
0: I think so. I, I, if I had to predict, I feel like it'll be the second highest grossing movie of the year by the time that its box office run is done. But Mario mm-hmm. will end up with the crown. Uh, I'm also very interested to see like what happens with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in August. I feel like that yeah. that probably will be the highest grossing movie from August because I don't because like I said I'm not confident in Blue Beetle and I don't know what to expect out of Gran Turismo. Maybe that is <laughs> like comes a sleeper, but I'm not. But if, if it's a sleeper, it's not going to. Be, I feel like you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the fact that it's a you know cross generational film that might like help it out, but. But ultimately, I don't feel like that's going to stop the Barbie machine from happening. So I feel like it'll be close, but I think Mario's going to end up with the crown. With, you know, the whole hype of Barbenheimer, I thought it might be a fun idea to play a trivia game where I ask Brandon, or I give Brandon two different movies, and he has to guess which one made more money at the box office. Uh, Brandon, are you ready?
1: I like this game. Let's do it.
0: Alright. First two movies. Which made more money worldwide at the box office? Shrek or The Sixth Sense?
1: This is worldwide, right? Yes. I'm gonna say... Because this is Premiere Shyamalan. This is when the twist wasn't known. I'm gonna say Shrek, but I'm gonna say it's close.
0: Okay, so it's actually the sixth cents. So
1: Really? Was it cent, close at least?
0: Somewhat. So I mean the Sixth Cents made six hundred and seventy-two point eight million. And there are conflicting reports about Shrek's box office, but at most it made four hundred and ninety-one point eight million. Really? Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah, no, right. I was
0: I, I was with you. I was I honestly thought that Shrek would have more, but when I actually looked this up, I'm like, oh no. The Sixth Sense. So yeah, that was yeah. Shyamalan would yeah beat out yeah. Shyamalan beat out Shrek, which is crazy considering Shrek is like you know DreamWorks' mascot, you know movie and you know the face of like DreamWorks essentially. But yeah, that happened. Round two: Which made more money at the box office, Get Out or Crazy Rich Asians?
1: Oh, ah, uh, I feel like I should know this. I. Th- think it's crazy rich asians
0: this was very close get out edged it out so but it it was close brandon like get out made 255.4 million and crazy rich asians brought home 238.5 million so very they're very much in the same range
1: okay i could have sworn crazy rich asians cost 300 million i could have sworn reading that somewhere but maybe not
0: okay which made more money at the box office Anchorman or collateral?
1: This is tricky. Um, I'm going to guess Anchorman.
0: That's what I would have gone with, but it's actually collateral. And
1: it's not. Some of a, uh. <laughs> Collateral. i take it back. I don't like this yeah, game anymore. Collateral, made more
0: than I so collateral actually made 220.9 million, whereas Anchorman. Only made 90.6, which is actually crazy considering how much of an impact that movie has had.
1: That's because I remember hearing when the second one came out of like, well, dude, really strong on VOD, on VOD, on VOD. And I should remember that.
0: Oh, this is a fun one. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven or Sonic the Hedgehog.
1: Again, worldwide? Yeah. Dang it. Uh, You know what? I'm going against my gut this time. Ocean's Eleven.
0: And you are right. Yeah, Oceans 11 actually yeah made 450.7 million while Sonic brought in 319.7 million. So, okay, these are two heavyweights because both of them made a lot of money. Top Gun Maverick or Frozen 2?
1: Top Gun Maverick.
0: Correct, but it is yeah, very okay. very yeah. close. Is it really? 1.493 billion for Top Gun. Frozen 2 brought in 1.453 billion. So it was that close. Like actually, there it's crazy. Like the Top Gun is apparently the twelfth highest grossing movie of all time. Frozen is the thirteenth. Frozen two, I should say.
1: Okay, that's um, strange. Everyone. I don't. I don't know why. I think I just have in mind. Maybe it's just because of how few people talk about Frozen two. I love it. Um, but because of how few people talk about it, I was just like, it must not have crossed a billion dollars. Or if it did, it just did it barely. But no, it was that close.
0: Toy Story three or Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Uh,
1: I'm going to be wrong. Return of the King.
0: That's actually right, Brandon. Oh, it is. It was okay. Very, yeah, you got to go with yourself, right? The movie King had to go with Return of the King. But yeah, no, Toy Story 3 actually brought in 1.067 billion. Return of the King brought in 1.147 billion. So very, very, very close. They were like, you know, pretty even. This one's a tricky one. The Simpsons movie or Gladiator?
1: I love this. Um, god that's interesting uh, I'm gonna say Gladiator
0: that's what I would have guessed but it's actually the it's Simpsons not... movie
1: okay because I remember the promotional push and I was like did it work
0: it was very very close the Simpsons movie brought in 536.4 million Gladiator brought in 503 million but gotcha, you know Gladiator I, I think Gladiator will take that in a best picture and win uh, yeah. Speaking of which, our last one of the day, La La Land or the social network?
1: I'm blanking on how much social network made, but I know how much La had La made. Did La, La Land narrow it out?
0: Is that your final guess?
1: That's my final guess.
0: You're right. La La Land did. Okay. Uh, La, La Land brought in 447.4 million, where the social network brought in 224.9 million. However, what I found most interesting is because the social network is always connected to the King's Speech. And the King's Speech actually made more than the social network. The King's Speech actually made 427.4 million, which I was not expecting.
1: What the heck?
0: Yeah, the King's Speech brought in 427.4 million.
1: That might be the most shocking thing you've told me today.
0: I'm guessing that it probably had a lot of international box office numbers. But it that, that must would be have. Bad. Yeah.
1: Because like making double social network for a movie that is almost universally remembered as the movie that beat the social network is wild to me.
0: Yeah, right. It's, it's pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, those are the stats and uh, that actually ends the show. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had fun diving into all this box office madness and having a little box office fun trivia at the end. But uh, either way, thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us on our show, boys and girls. Remember, today's show is brought to you by the letter M. Yay! And also complete mind blowers because box office doesn't make any sense. Go read a book.
0: Fair enough. We'll just, yeah, we're just going to end the show on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to keep having fun like Brandon, be sure to follow him at the movie King 45 on both. I was going to say Twitter and Instagram, but I guess maybe X and Instagram? Or is that is that what we're going to have to call it? I mean, I, I, yeah, Twitter X, one of them, I guess. On on, you'll follow him at the movie King Forty Five, whatever it's called. By the time that this know, episode, comes out. You
1: know what? Quick side note: I wouldn't mind calling it Twitter X.
0: Twitter X, okay. We'll, we'll go with it for now. Yeah, follow Brandon yep. on Twitter X at the movie King Forty Five, and also on Instagram at the movie King Forty Five. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter X at Flatted Sky Eleven and at Sky Merida on Instagram. And if you haven't already, go follow the show on Twitter X uh, (laughs) at zero capes required and then uh, add uh, no capes required on Instagram. But that is officially going to wrap it up. Thank you to our producer, Brian at Heroes Always Behind the Scenes. Have a wonderful rest of the week. And always remember, keep your head up high and fly the sky.